you go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll be in chapter 2, it'll be on the screen behind us. You can read along, you can close your eyes and let the scripture wash over you as we experience it together. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and the author says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and had a harem as well as the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took, no delight, took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Before I start the sermon this morning, before I jump in, I just wanted to um, say thank you um, to all of you who have been volunteering all these past number of months. There's been so much going on um, with all of our our Christmas services, Christmas Eve services, and Advent, and so our team today, you know, they, they all played, a lot of them played Sunday, Monday, and again today. And so I'm just appreciative of our worship team. I'm, I'm proud that we um, have this full host of volunteers who help us each week. And so I'm just grateful for you all. So thank you all for your extra, like Christmas Eve was fantastic. All of our worship services have been so wonderful lately. So all the effort y'all put in, it just means a lot. So, so thank you all. I actually wanted to do something different with our sermon today. I'm going to start over here. And this might be weird. It might not work. We'll see. But here's the thing. You all love me. I love you. It's gone well so far. I feel like I've got a little bit of relational capital to, you know, to try some things here and there. Normally, after we read the scripture, we go straight into like a story. We start talking about the scripture. Or we go into a story that talks about the scripture. And we are going to come back to our Ecclesiastes passage in just a moment. But I wanted to do something different today. Instead of a story, I wanted to offer a music lesson. Just a brief music lesson, just helping us all learn a little something about music. Now, there are people in here, I'm looking at people in here who know way more about music than I do. I see Jan Bailey over there, she's going to be like, that might not be so right. But I'm appreciative that there are people here who can you know, hold me accountable. But just a rudimentary introduction to some musical things, all right? The first is this. There are seven notes on a scale for most scales, right, for most of our musicals. So you've got do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, all right? We're good together? Are we good? It's also, as notes, it's right here, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all right? Now, sometimes when you're in a band, you say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, when you're talking about chords. So this is a chord. All right, that's 
a C chord, all right? Now, y'all can all sing it with me. Ah. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. That might not end up well. That might not go. So when you make a song, you use a variety of notes and chords, and, and you'll play them together. All right? So there are some songs that are just made up of major chords, which would be this, A, B. Oh, hey, go back. Right, this one. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. This is the most slides I've like, ever used. So if we have some, there's only two, though. So the next one's the only other one. All right? So you can go ahead and go to the next one. So here's what we're going to do today. All right? We're going to learn just, if you use the C chord, and then the F chord, and the G chord, you can make a song, all right? It's that easy. So some songs are made up of just major chords, all right? So here's, this is an example. Oh, baby, now we gotta go. All right, so that is a song that uses major chords. But, but most songs don't use just major chords. They use other things as well. They'll, they'll add in other types of chords, other notes, to create depth, you know, to, to add layers to the music. The easiest way to do that is to add in a minor chord. All right, so this is a minor chord. All right, so this is going to be A minor. All right, so I'm playing A minor. And you can hear the difference in the, in the minor chord, right? It sounds dark. It sounds kind of sad, a little heavy. All right, so here's a major chord. Here's a minor chord. All right, you can tell the difference. Well, whenever you make a song, you want to add in a little bit of, of differences. You don't want them all to be major. You don't want them all to be minor. If a whole song was minor, it'd be really like dark, right? It'd be this. Not quite, not quite as good, all right? So, but here's what you do instead. You play songs that have some mix here. So here's a really basic chord progression. C, G, A minor, and F. That, a lot, there are so many songs that are made up of that same progression. You can do it in different keys and such. So you could go G, C, G D, E minor, C, but, but we're just talking about it in the C progression right now. So another way to say this is you go one, five, six minor, Four, one, five. So now you all are talented musicians. If you can learn how to, you know, finger a chord up here or on your guitar, you can make some, some really good songs. There's actually like thousands of songs that use this one simple progression. I'm just gonna give you an example. When I was playing music the other night, a couple of months ago, I, was, I said, you know, there's so many songs that use four chords, right? So you probably know these songs, right? You're beautiful, you're beautiful, it's true. I saw your face. You know that song? What about this one? Oh, I won't hesitate no more, no more. That one? You know that one? Take me home, country roads, to the place. What about this one? When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Hey, I just met you. And this is crazy. All right, so there's so many songs. It's so simple. There are thousands of songs that use that four chord progression, and that's it. But the reason why I think that progression works so well, why so many people use it, is because there's an interplay between those chords that reflects our desires in life. There's a lot of happiness. There's a lot of a joy and just a little bit of, of contrast, but not too much contrast. There's only one minor chord, right? Only, only the A minor. The rest of them are major. The rest of them are light. They are happy. And obviously, in music, you can create whatever you want, but those songs don't really stand the test of time, obviously, or oftentimes. They're just poppy. They're here for the moment, and then there's, no, like, record companies know that we love songs like that. 
So they just keep making them over and over. There's millions of dollars being made on these four chords, right? But I would contend, I would suggest that some of the greatest songs don't just have these four basic chords. They don't just have lots of majors. There's more attention. There's more contrast. There's more minors and there's diminished and there's sevenths, which is a whole nother world of, of ways in which you can make notes and music work together. There's, there's so many more layers, but sometimes we often settle for music that's just this. So easy. Now, there's lots of artists that do more than just that, and there's one artist who's made so many songs that have stood the test of time for the past five decades, and they probably will for a long time more, because this artist provides a lot of depth and contrast, and there's more people that do it, but, but just listen to the difference. Did you hear, hear this? But listen to this. You recognize that song? It's like the sun going down on. There's so much more there, right? There's more than just four chords. He does it right here too. It's like, there's more there, right? There's depth, there's contrast, there's Mystery, there's nuance, there's subtlety, it's more than just happiness, there's, huh. Those, those notes don't seem to go together, yet somehow they do. She packed my bags last night, brief flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. There's so much more to music than I think what we are often given and what we often take for ourselves. So much of our music is built on, on happiness and making ourselves feel good or simpleness because it's easy to catch onto. Yet, the music that is the best, the music that, that lasts the longest, that has the most staying power, is that music that provides more depth, dynamic. And there's one thing that all songs have in common, almost, pretty much. I mean, there's very few songs where you will not find this. And it's resolution. All songs resolve. So in this progression, if we were to play C, G, A minor, F, it would always come back to the C at the end, right? So almost every song we played this morning, if you were to do this, C, G, A minor, F, and hard to leave right there, it wouldn't feel complete. You need the resolution. The C, the coming back to the one, the resolution, this provides the completeness, the wholeness. Here we are, the Sunday before New Year's, and we're all thinking about resolution, Resolution, what does that mean for us? What will we be resolving to do? Before we go any further, it's time we come back to our text. You know, I, I feel like I've already gone too long without coming back to the Bible. I, I love the Bible, and I love, sometimes I just spend too long, you know, 30 minutes all about the Bible, let's go, and they're like, hey, you've been talking about the Bible for a long time. I just feel like it's the most important thing I can do as your preacher is to talk about the Bible. All right, so we're gonna go back to Ecclesiastes. We're back in chapter two. And I've preached from Ecclesiastes one time before. There's a very popular passage from Ecclesiastes. And it's, um, for everything there is a season. A time for this, time, you know, time for things, all these, there's songs about it. For everything, to, I got songs for everything. And so in Ecclesiastes though, the author um, sometimes writes like a moody teenager. I don't know if you ever noticed that. He's really happy and he's really sad. And then like everything's amazing. And everything is terrible. Scholars refer to the author of Ecclesiastes as Kohelet. That's kind of the name in which they, he goes by or that they've given him. And, and so Kohelet writes with this very emotional style. Ecclesiastes as a book is within this section of the Old Testament called the wisdom literature. 
But you've got the Torah, which is the law. You've got the prophets. You've got the monarchy stories. You've got the gospel and epistles. There's a section in the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. This is the wisdom section. And it's very different than a lot of the other scriptures we're given. There's a lot to think about. It's, it's drawing contemplation. It's, it's drawing out of us ways in which we think about how we interact with the world. And here in the second chapter, we're given one of Kohelet's downward spirals, one of his more negative ways of seeing everything. He says to himself, you know what I'm going to do? Literally whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do anything that is pleasurable, anything that will make me happy. I'm just going to do the things in life that make me happy. I'm not going to do anything else, just the things that make me happy. And it says that he embraced folly. He cheered himself up with wine and undertook projects that would give him fame and notoriety. He built houses and planted vineyards, these things that would make him just this awesome guy. People would see his houses. They would see his vineyards. He, he dug reservoirs to help so that it would um, water these incredible gardens of fruit trees and lush vegetation. He said he denied himself no pleasure on heaven, from heaven or here on earth. No, there's no pleasure that he denied himself. And then at the end of the day, he, he's done all these things that can make him happy. Things that today we're like, well, you, there's some of those things that are very problematic, right? Some of those things that, but within his context, he's looking at all the things that his hands could possibly do that he would think would bring him joy. And at the end of it all, he says it was all meaningless. At the end of all this happiness, this searching for happiness, he said it was all like chasing the wind. There's nothing more to it than chasing the wind. It seems somewhat counterintuitive, does it not? We think that much of our lives is a quest for happiness. It's a quest to, to be able to get these things which will make us happy. We work jobs to make money so we can buy things and the things make us happy. We, we wanna raise so that we can go on more adventures and do more things because that will make us happy. We, we decide to deny ourselves, some, maybe it's time with our family or, or time doing other things so that we can get the things that will make us happy. And it would seem logical um, that if people just gave us all those things and we didn't have to work for them, if people just gave us the things in which bring us pleasure, um, then we would be happy. But Kohela says, I, I got all those things. I got everything I could ever want. And it was like chasing the wind. At the end of the day, having all of these things just given to me, just having all the things of happiness, brought me no pleasure. To me, this is the exact same reason why we don't want songs with just major chords. There's very few songs with just major chords, like, right? There's the Louis Louis song, but like, that's about it that I'm gonna be able to help you with. Most songs have more than that because in our soul, somewhere inside of us, we know that there's more than just that light, happy feeling. Major chords just give us the happiness, the, the good feelings, but, but it's like inside of us, we know that there's something more to life than just experiencing the good things on their own, that there's, that there's depth to life, that there's dynamics at work in our lives. A song with only major chords lacks contrast. It lacks tension. And it's in the contrast and in the tension of life 
that we find depth and meaning. Like the book of Proverbs says, those who till their land will have plenty of food, but those who follow worthless pursuits have no sense. It also says, in all their toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Have you heard the saying, anything worth having is worth waiting for? Anything worth having is worth working for. Maybe you've seen this in your own life too. So I can think of whenever I was in college or in seminary, um, making a good grade on a test always felt a lot better after I stayed up all night with my friends in a study group and we worked hard and you made a good grade. Like you just felt accomplishment from it, right? It just felt better than the times you just showed up and, and maybe it was an easy quiz and you made an A. You didn't have to study for it. That didn't happen to me very much. But when it did, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as good as those times whenever I, like, I put all this work into it. Or I know a lot of us, there's plenty of people in here I've seen who you're training for things. You're training for a marathon. You're training for, for a half marathon. You're, you're doing this, this crazy activity called running that I don't know why anybody does it, but you're doing it. And, and when you get to the finish line, there's this feeling of accomplishment from all this work that you've done, right? There's this sense of, of, of satisfaction and pride because of the work put into it. If you could just wake up and then just go run a marathon the next day and not have work for it. Yeah, sure, that's cool. You get a, a moment of joy. But that's not nearly as meaningful as the person who took this time and this effort to develop this skill and put these hours in and put all this effort into becoming, um, being able to meet this accomplishment that you've worked so hard for. You might be thinking, well, actually, no, it'd be, it'd be really nice if I could just wake up and run a marathon. I mean, maybe. I just believe that there's more to life than just showing up and getting the thing we want. I think there's more to life than just being given all the things we think will make us happy. I was listening to a podcast with Peter Rollins the other day, and he was discussing how Sigmund Freud called this the reality principle versus the pleasure principle. See, the pleasure, pleasure principle is this idea that we want all the things. When you're a kid, you wanna eat all the chocolate, you wanna stay up all night, When you're an adult, you might want a new car, you might want this or that. The reality principle, though, is there are things that keep you from getting that. Your parents um, won't let you stay up and eat chocolate all night unless it's after Halloween and you hide it in your room type deal. And and your your job or your finances might not allow you to buy that car that you want. There's There's the reality principle and there's the pleasure principle. And so we just think naturally, well, if we remove the reality principle, if we're just given the things that will bring us pleasure, then life will be better. If we, just get, if we just don't have that in our, if there's nothing in our way and we just get the things that bring us pleasure, then we will be happy. But Freud said, no. It's actually the inability to get what you want that makes you want it. It's kind of ironic if you think about it. If, if one day you're able to get all the things you wanted, you would no longer want them. It's strange. If, if life was always easy and happiness, like, like music in a major notes, there would be none of that contrast and depth. There'd be none of that meaning because there'd be none of that struggle or that work or that desire. In that same episode, he talked about a German theologian's last name is Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer. And he, he said that another way to talk about this is that there's the object of the desire. There's a thing that we all want. There's the house, the car, the raise, the job. There's the thing you want. And then there's the object cause of your desire, the thing that makes you want it, the desiring itself, the experience of desire. Have you ever had a time in your life where you wanted something so bad and then you got it and you no longer wanted it? 
Like for me, it's, it happens with camera gear all the time. I always think if I just get that lens, then I'll be a better photographer and I'll be happy and I'll use it all the time. And so then I save up or I ask for it for a present and then I get it. I'm like, all right, cool. Now I want this lens. Now I want this thing. Now I want this drone. Now I want this, right? You know, it's, it's the thing after the thing. Have you ever been there? Oftentimes it's because the object of desire either can't satisfy us in the way that we think it can or the thing that actually brings joy is the experience of desire itself. Think about it. How much fun is it when you're looking for, if you're looking for a house to, to scan Zillow nonstop, right? Whenever Brianna and I were getting ready to move down here, I mean, like, if we were, if we were not at work or in a meeting, we were just Zillow nonstop. And we get here, and I love our house. It's great. But, like, the joy of looking for it was where the experience was, was where the, the happiness was. We like music with minor notes because it reminds us that there's more to life than just being happy. There's the experience of working for those things which bring pleasure, and in that we find our happiness. Ecclesiastes tells us that we could get all the things that you want in life, but it could end up just being meaningless, like chasing the wind. And so the truth of the matter is we're all searching for that resolution. We're all looking for that thing that once we get, the object of our desire is some feeling of resolution. And it's kind of constant. It's always nagging at us, right? Sometimes it's a project at work. Once I get the resolution from that, sometimes it's an object you want to buy. Sometimes it's a season of life that you want to be resolved. You want that to be over. You, You want to get the resolution that you so desperately seek. But here's the the thing, my friends, and I I just believe this, that that no matter what we tell ourselves, the resolution we experience is always fuller, it's always sweeter when we've had to work to get it. So if there's something in our job, if there's something in in our hobby, in our professional goals that we're going for, if we just got it, it wouldn't be that great. But it's the work, it's the effort, it's the experience from which we find the joy. And then when we find that resolution... When we get that object of desire, it it might actually have been worth it. Maybe not every time, but when we work for something, it makes experience that much better. And so to land this plane, to end this sermon, to wrap it all up, I I wanna point out a little bit of irony about all these things I've been talking about, about the musical notes and how they affect us and how we realize that there's more depth to life than just happiness. There's more depth to music than just major chords and notes. Um, Once we get that resolution that we so desperately seek, once we have felt that accomplishment, we want to feel it again. How many times have you ever heard a song and you're like, that song was so amazing, I never wanna hear it again. <laughs> when you experience music that speaks to your soul, that, spe- that, that is like, it, it's in the depth of your, your being, when you, when you hear that, you're like, man, I wanna hear that again, I wanna share it with my friends, I wanna, I wanna be able to like put it on a repeat on Spotify, right? When we've worked hard for something and we experience the resolution from it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean like we're just done. Life is over. All right, I've, I've lived my life of accomplishment. I've, I've managed this feat. This is the reason why I'm a Christian. One of the reasons why I fully believe in God. It's because to experience this journey of trying to know God more, to learn who God is, to be in relationship with God, I will always be experiencing the joy of the searching because God is bigger than I can ever 
imagine. I might find something new and learn a new thing and get that resolution, but then I want it again. I wanna keep knowing God deeper. I wanna hear all the layers of the music. I wanna experience all that God has. And so as you are making your New Year's resolutions, as you gotta get your list ready by Tuesday morning about the ways in which you're gonna get fit this year, eat less sugar. Every year, I'm working on my six pack of abs and I still got my one ab, it's just right here. As you think about your resolutions, I pray that we will be a church that not only seeks after a thing, but experiences the journey. May we be a people who, as we grow closer with God, are journeying deeper in all areas of our life. And may we be a people who take this journey together. I believe that about us, about us as a church, is that we are all in this together. Will you pray with me?